0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Watchman on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Micah Van Husk continues his look at the ancient cities and the gods who built them. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Whether on the radio, online, or on our podcast, thank you for connecting with us today. We're so glad that you're here. If you're new to the broadcast, be sure to pick up the new listener pack. In the pack is a welcome letter with history about the ministry, the latest issue of the Prophetic Observer, and we've got a free gift. Call 1-800-652-1144 and get your free new listener pack today. 1-800-652-1144 or online swrc.com. Micah Van Hus is back to continue his examination of the days of Noah, the Nephilim, in the demonic construction of the ancient cities.
1: We're back with our guest, Micah Van Hus. We have been visiting with him on his book, "Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them." Mike, it's great to be back with you on today's show.
2: Thank you, Pastor Larry. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, Ancient Cities is the first book in a series planned to cover the depth and breadth of the marginal mysteries that are of concern to the careful student of the Bible. There's lots of those mysteries. Tell us about what you're planning, and I know you've got a whole series on the DVDs, but where are you going with
2: this? Well, Our solid plan, meaning that we have already mentioned the series names and presentations and on social media, we have finished Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them. I do intend to, in the future, do a second Ancient Cities because there's so many awesome cities that we still need to get to, but I have fun doing these ones. Currently, I am working on my next book, my next show, next podcast, The Earth As It Was. Pause there because that is the earth before the flood of Noah, how the earth was fascinating topics from the firmament which I believe was likely a layer of ice in our atmosphere, the canopy theory, well most of the canopy theory I don't agree with all of it. We talk about dinosaurs, men's long lives all kinds of awesome stuff from the earth before the flood of Noah. Did some awesome photoshop work, got some ice in the sky, some firmament looking stuff for the last presentation. The next series after we're done with the earth as it was will be secret societies where we'll get into anything and everything but planned so
1: far the Freemason Illuminati, Knights Now, you're not a conspiracy theorist, are you? Depends on the topic. <laughs> well, <on. laughs> there have been conspiracies since the fall, so yeah, I know. that. From being good. in politics,
2: I'm used to being called all kinds of things, so uh, you call me whatever you want. I just enjoy studying it, and we'll talk about it and see what we can find out about it. We also get into the Knights Templar. Bilderberg Group, the Bohemian Grove out in California. Fascinating place. Uh, Alex Jones from InfoWars broke that one, filmed some of it. And so just fascinating stuff.
1: So I'm looking forward to getting into
2: Secret Societies after we finish Earth as it was.
1: Now, I think I need to tell our listeners, most of them have not met you, but Micah Van Hus is a big, muscular fellow with bulging muscles, and you are in the Marine Corps, also in the state legislature in Tennessee.
2: That is correct. My life has been in segments of eight years. I served eight years in the Marine Corps as a scout sniper over in Iraq three times in Afghanistan once, and then after that, I served in the Tennessee House of Representatives, Washington County, Tennessee, for eight years. We passed the Tennessee heartbeat bill, worked on constitutional carry of firearms, passed some good freedom legislation, and then now we're here, the host of the Marginal Mystery Show. So I'm hoping for at least eight years here because I love studying this stuff. I've studied it for decades even when I was in the Marine Corps going over to Babylon itself and so yeah I'm fascinated by this stuff.
1: Well the reason why I bring this up is because some of our listeners who don't know you they might think this guy is a real weirdo he (laughs) lives underground (laughs) somewhere but you really don't you're a a red-blooded Christian American patriot you believe in good health and other good things like that so praise the Lord for how God is raising servants in these last days. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, but guess what? There's a lot of good stuff going on, and that's one of the reasons why I believe that in the end times there will be, and I think we're seeing it even now, revival, but that's for another show. Well, let's get back to, I guess we're going to be talking about Atlantis. You spoke about satellite imagery, where you will see white ground to the south of the Reshat structure, which is salt. Now, this is in the So-called Eye of the Sahara. How is this related to Atlantis? And tell us about the Reshat structure. And
2: I recommend Jimmy from Bright Insight. He's where I got real fascinated with the Reshat structure and agree with the things he said. The Reshat structure is... As Plato described Atlantis, the measurements are within the range of what we believe a Greek stata was. Nobody knows what the Greek stata was. Some people will claim they do. But there's six different mathematical explanations for what a Greek state measurement was. This reshot structure, Atlantis, had a central island of land. A ring of water, a ring of land, a ring of water, a ring of land, and then an ocean that opened up to the south and mountains to the north. If you look at the reshot structure, I'm not going to sit here and try to describe it. If you're listening, you should probably Google the reshot structure. It might be easier to Google the eye of the Sahara. It's got mountains to the north, full of rivers. You can see the white sand on the south side where it was an ocean. That is, Josh Sigurdson did an awesome YouTube exploration out there. He tasted the sand himself. So it was an ocean at one point, it appears. If you look at the western part of Africa on satellite imagery, it's obvious that the entire western part of Africa had water at one point and drained off to the west. Even looking out into the water, you can see the shallow ground under the water for many, 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 many miles where the dirt that was on top of Africa is now in the ocean. So it's obvious at one point the northern Africa bulged up. Most scientists agree that northern Africa was a lush tropical environment, and that they say probably before the younger, driest climate catastrophe on their timeline, 11,600 BC. But it's obvious that it was a lush environment. So it's obvious, I think, that the city of Atlantis is the destroyed city of Atlantis. I think this is most likely it. It fits Plato's descriptions. Poseidon and his wife, Cleto, had 10 sons, five sets of twins. You'll find Africa has the highest rate of births of twins in the world. Atlantis is described as having a ton of elephants, and you'll find cave drawings of elephants around wow. this area. Uh, and a this is it, desert now, no yes. elephants, yeah. A lot of elephants in Western Africa. Atlas was the first king of Atlantis, and this reshot structure is in the Atlas mountain range in northwest Africa. So just fascinating, again, the map that Herodotus drew in 430 B.C., Literally has the word Atlantis with a question mark next to it in Northwestern Africa wow. on the map. So it's a fascinating structure. Maybe one day I could get there. It'd be cool to
1: do. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. Well, you say that the Reshat structure is in Northwest Africa in modern-day Mauritania. So for those who'd like to check it out, and the spelling of Reshad is R-I-C-H-A-T. Reshat structure. Well, let's talk about something that I find absolutely fascinating. You say Heinrich Himmler. An officer in the Third Reich planned the largest expedition ever to find Atlantis. Why would he do that? As the
2: Nazis were trying to conquer the world, they were sending all kinds of expeditions trying to find any kind of ancient technology that would help them conquer the world. Atlantis, a lot of people say it was a utopia, but it was actually a warrior state. They tried to conquer Athens at one point. They were very much into their war. They weren't necessarily a utopia. Also, a lot of people say, well, the city of Atlantis, that's, that's just fairy tales. Well, it was also Homer who wrote about the city of Troy, and everybody said the city of Troy. It was a fairy tale too, the Trojan horse and all that, until in 1871, Heinrich Schliemann found the city of Troy, so I think that gives a lot of credence to the possibility of Atlantis having been a real location. I mean, there's all kinds of destroyed sites around our world. We as Christians know there was a global flood that destroyed Basically everything, including the city of Enoch, the first city mentioned in the Bible in Genesis four seventeen, the Garden of Eden was obviously a real place. The tree of life was a real item. So is it still here on the earth today? Did God destroy the Garden of Eden during the flood? You know, we don't know. Is it under the ice in Antarctica? The earth was probably Pangea before the flood, meaning that Antarctica was part of the world before. Synonymous with that, there's actually the Pierre Reese map it was drawn by a Muslim cartographer in 1513, I think. It depicts, in my view, it depicts the continent of Antarctica only 500 years ago with animals and rivers and trees on it. Fascinating map, fascinating thing to study. What is under the ice in Antarctica? What is under the water in the Bermuda Triangle? There's all kinds of destruction going on around our world, and I think that's what happened with the city of Atlantis, and I do believe it's most likely the reshot structure.
1: Well, you know, as you're talking and making all these connections, I'm just amazed at how the inspiration of Scripture is coming out, because obviously, humanly speaking, the writers did not, in their minds, know all these connections and these different things. But obviously, God the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, knew all about it. And so you see these little clues here and there, and you say, wow, I'm just learning so much, and I'm so excited about it. And you've been plumbing the depths, so to speak, already. Let's move on to the city of Eridu. It's the city that is thought to be one of the two oldest post-Diluvian cities in the world. It was inhabited by the ancient Sumerians. So the question is, is it possible that this is the site of the Tower of Babel?
2: It is possible. There are ruins of a ziggurat, excuse me, not ruins, but a foundation of a ziggurat founded Erdo. Dr. Petrovich would say that this is the site of the Tower of Babel likely. It is quite possible. The Sumerians built the Hanging Gardens, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was likely a ziggurat style tower with the foliage on it. The Tower of Babel, if you'll notice in Genesis, I was always taught in Sunday school that they built the tower to reach into heaven, like some giant tower that just infinitely goes up. And that's not what Genesis says. It says they built the tower so that they would not be scattered throughout the world to make a name for themselves so that they could congregate together. Notice in Genesis chapter 9, God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply. So the idea of coming together to build the tower and staying together in a city was contrary to what God had told them to do. At this time, Pangea, the earth had just started to break apart after the fountains of the deep during the flood. So the continents are still relatively close together. There's probably land bridges that obviously don't exist today. So Noah was told, all his sons were told to be fruitful, multiply, go throughout the earth. The Tower of Babel is contrary to what God told man to do. So I believe that the Tower of Babel was not like a giant, infinite-looking tower trying to reach into the skies. I think it was likely a ziggurat, which does go up into the sky which is also a little bit synonymous with the high places. I do believe that these cultures, the Aztecs, people who built these pyramids, there's something about the high places that is a something to do with going back and forth between the spiritual and physical realms. You'll notice in the Bible... Almost every time that God is mentioned coming to this earth or Jesus being transfigured or something happening spiritually, it's on a high mountain. Satan takes Jesus into a high mountain and shows him all the cities of the world in an instant when, when Satan is tempting Jesus. God is on Mount Sinai with Moses. The Nephilim, the Beneha Elohim, descend on top of Mount Hermon. The Tower of Babel, I think, was most like a ziggurat trying to reach into
1: the high places. Pyramids also do that as well. Do you think the Sumerians were taught writing by perhaps the Ben Bnei- Elohim? Elohim. I think it's a good possibility. They say that. They were. They don't say B'nei Elohim. They say Awanus. Uh, oh, really? So there's a connection there. Yes, they yes, don't use that a... phrase, but they were taught writing supernaturally or supernaturally? So
2: what were the Nephilim doing? They were modifying human and animal DNA. Yeah. The ancient Egyptian pharaohs, gods, have animal heads and human bodies. Well, the Sumerians say that Awanus walked out of the water. He was half fish, half man— And he taught them writing. He said, you're going to worship us, we're going to be your gods, and we're going to teach you writing. There are seven spirits. I think they're called the Apkalu, but Awanus was the one who taught mankind writing. He came out of the water. That is what the Book of Enoch says, that the Nephilim taught writing to mankind, among all the other things, abortion and mixing of metals and studying of the stars and all that stuff. Writing was one of the things mentioned in the Book of Enoch. The Sumerians say that the half fish, half man taught them how to write
1: there is some information in the Bible that would suggest the location of the Garden of Eden, what about its location? Where is it now? Is it under the ocean? Could it have floated somewhere during the breakup of the continents where it says the fountains of the deep were broken up at the time of the flood? And what about Mesopotamia? Is there indication of it having been there?
2: Absolutely. And if you think that the Garden of Eden was untouched, I mean, I think it's possible God could hide something from people's sight for thousands of years and just leave it sitting where it was. That is a possibility that the Garden of Eden is at the head of the Tigris and Euphrates River. Eden had four rivers coming out of it. I believe it was a mountain. Ezekiel calls it the Mountain of God, where he cast down Lucifer from. But four, four rivers coming out the Tigris and Euphrates now. The Tigris and Euphrates were rivers before the flood, but likely transformed if they were even the same ones after the flood. Noah and his family get off the ark and they find a river and they're like, okay, we're going to name this after what we know from the old world. Okay, this is the Euphrates. So we don't really know that the Tigris and Euphrates today are the same Tigris and Euphrates from the book of Genesis, two other rivers. So there's four rivers coming out of it. And a lot of people will will look around the region of Iraq, Iran and Turkey and say, okay, this is where it should be. And there's fascinating studies on it on top of mountains, different colored rocks on top. There were a bunch of gems and jewels and sapphires and all kinds of things on the Garden of Eden, according to... Ezekiel chapter 28. So where is it now? As we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, the earth was Pangea, it was broken up. Is the Garden of Eden under the Bermuda Triangle? Is it under the ice in Antarctica? Is it just completely gone? Well, we know that God put a flaming sword to guard the tree of life. Side note, God never tells us not to eat from the tree of life. He told him not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is at some point in the future, according to the book of Revelation, it is in heaven. So here we have a tree which was on the earth in the Garden of Eden. And in the some point in the future, is in heaven. It bears 12 different kinds of fruits. If you're trying to picture what the tree of life was wow. in paradise, it has 12 different fruits. And it heals the nations is what it says, and the people drink of the waters underneath. And so it's fascinating to think about the possibility, was Eden a spiritual and physical dimension at the same time? Now, I think spiritual beings can see the physical dimension, so for them it's no problem. But for us, we don't generally see the spiritual dimension unless God lets us, even though he says towards the end the veil between the spiritual and physical will start to break break towards the end of the world anyway was the garden of eden were adam and eve able to go was it part of the spiritual dimension when they lived there and they were cast out because of their sin i don't know but the tree of life was in the garden of eden and it is in paradise in the future so fascinating to think about
1: i know a lot of the higher critical scholars their so-called jedp theory of the pentateuch you're probably familiar with that they put around 800 A.D., very late, and the consensus, at least, with the Velhausen School, and I think a lot of critical scholars today, is that the ancients were idiotic, stupid gorillas who didn't know very much, but you point out that the Sumerians were the first to employ the arch, the vault, and the dome. Their cities were completely enclosed by brick walls. Their most important buildings were temples in the form of large mounds called ziggurats. But I think the research that you've been doing shows us that the ancient world, they were not a bunch of gorillas, they were very... Culture, they knew science, they knew astronomy, they were thinkers, they were philosophers. Now, God had not revealed Himself to them fully the way He did through Israel. The Jewish people, they're the keepers of the scriptures and so forth. But I think we have a new view of the ancients. They were pretty brilliant. And certainly Genesis chapter 4, workers in metal and so on and so forth, musical instruments. You can't have musical instruments without an understanding of the scale, the different scales. There's mathematics involved there. Astronomy involves mathematics. So this, I think, is really amazing.
2: Absolutely. And if you look at a lot of ruins from Egypt to South America, Machu Picchu, other places, you will notice, especially, I think it's the temple at the Sphinx, but you'll notice the building of the stones on the first layer are extremely precise amazing technology. And then right above them, you can tell another culture came behind, the Egyptians, and built more crude stones on top. So when people say, oh, the Egyptians, the builders of the pyramids, are builders of these amazing things, and while possible, I think that they came along and found these ruins that were just amazing builds and, and started building on top of them. Machu Picchu is another example of just amazing stone cutting and you can't fit paper between the cracks. And then yet another layer on top, there's more crude buildings. It's just like, well, some ancient technology did this. I was Speculate that it was the Nephilim, the Watchers, and their descendants, the Nephilim, that had this technology that built the pyramids. The measurements of the Great Pyramid of Giza—amazing numbers, uh, amazing star ports inside you can see out into the stars. Just some amazing things going on. So I don't think these people are idiots, and this is a little bit synonymous with. there heard Christians who say, "Well, evolution could be real, and you know God could have created and things could have evolved," but you know I just don't believe in all those fairy tales. You know, well if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. and you believe that Jesus is the Savior, you should look at what Jesus said. Jesus said that the great flood happened, that Noah was on the ark, and the people were saved on the ark. Those are Jesus' words. I don't know everything, but I do know that the Bible gives us a timeline, a solid timeline for the ages of every single person that was born. 1,656 years before the flood was the time frame from the fall of man to the flood, And then it gives the genealogies from Noah all the way down to Jesus. So we do have a timeline, a solid timeline, and that's roughly 6,000 years if you're talking about the Masoretic, 7,500 if you're talking about the Greek Septuagint. So it's fascinating to study. God's
1: created an awesome world. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to Egypt and seeing the pyramids. I never realized there's a problem, and that is how did they get those 20-ton blocks of stone everything lines up. It's not crooked. It's not falling apart. It's been there for thousands of years. There must have been some superhuman agency. You've got to believe that. The book is Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them by Micah Van Hus. We do have four episodes on one DVD. There are more DVDs. So you'll want to get all this material and just follow Micah because he's into something big and doing a great job. Thank you so much, dear brother.
2: Thank you, Pastor Larry, for having me.
0: Today we're excited to feature Micah Van Huss' book and DVD, Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them. Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them takes an uncomfortable look at the days of Noah and many other topics so that we can be ready for our Savior's return. Order your copy of Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them book and DVD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order this collection online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. And just in time for Christmas, we have a limited supply of Ancient Cities puzzles. Spend hours of quality family time putting together this Ancient Cities puzzle. Order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. December is Gleaning's month at Watchman on the Wall. Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill is here with some details and an update on this year's Gleaning's effort.
3: I have the distinct pleasure of talking with friends of this ministry. And one of the friends of this ministry is Larry Stam. And Larry Stam is our fella who we sort of imposed upon really to get him to help us put together the Jewish Roots calendar. We have had such a response, Larry. When somebody buys one of those calendars or ten of those calendars or twenty of those calendars, we give the exact same number to the prisoners. It's either an individual prisoner or a chaplain. Of prisoners, and we make sure that they get the calendar. And it has the plan of salvation, it's got the various feast days and the roots that we find in Judaism. Tell me a little bit about that, and how did you come up with this calendar? This is something that you lived with before you ever became a believer in Christ Jesus.
4: Well, Kenneth, I'm privileged to be with you. It was a blessing that Southwest Radio Ministries and Beacon Street Press published the Jewish Roots of Christianity book, and so the calendar was a natural offshoot of that. It's a blessing to be able to say that I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus, that in 1987, God brought this young Jewish man out of darkness and into light, and so When I got saved, God gave me a burden to share the gospel with my Jewish people, and I was a missionary to my Jewish people in New York City for a number of years, and I was connecting the dots for Jewish people to help them better understand that it is kosher for Jews to believe in Jesus. And now for the church, I help Christians understand when Jesus said in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets but to fulfill It's very important for people to understand what Jesus came to fulfill. And he came to fulfill, Kenneth, everything the Old Testament has said about the person and work of Messiah. And so it's a privilege to be able to participate with Southwest and produce this Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar, a 16-month calendar. Well,
3: this calendar is beautiful. The artwork is just beautiful in it and the information that it contains is enlightening. It's a very wonderful teaching tool in addition to being a beautiful calendar. Now, getting the work done properly, was that something that you really had to work hard at since you've been doing this for a long while? What were some of the challenges because you wanted to make it important in the lives of those who would get it so that they could understand the truth of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Connecting the
4: dots is important. Your listeners have probably heard this pithy catchphrase that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What we do in the Jewish Roots of Christianity book is we connect the dots between the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament speaks about the person and work of Messiah in the New Covenant scriptures. So with these monthly capsules, like, by the way, I've been teaching Jewish Roots of Christianity for a number of years. The Jewish Roots of Christianity book really is a reflection of a seminar that I've been teaching at churches and at conferences for a number of years. So the monthly capsules for the 16-month calendar were just small little snippets. For example, I can share with your listeners that the December capsule is taken from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where the prophet recorded that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and Matthew 2, 1, obviously, is the fulfillment. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Your listeners are probably very familiar with that prophecy. What they may not be familiar with and that I bring out in the monthly capsule in December is that Bethlehem in Hebrew is bet lechem. Bet meaning house, lechem meaning bread. So Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Jesus in John chapter 6 refers to himself, if your listeners remember, he said, I am the bread of life. And so what I point out in the capsule, Kenneth, is that the bread of life, Jesus was born in the house of bread, Bethlehem.
3: Indeed. And this is one of those sidelights and important parts of Scripture as you're bringing people to a better understanding. When we think of the house of bread, we think of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And when we have the opportunity to study the Word of God and to see what these things mean and how they're connected, it gets exciting. Would you have a parting comment for us?
4: We are in the midst of Gleanings Month here at Southwest Radio Ministries, and if God puts it on your heart, the ministry would be so blessed that you would participate and invest in this kingdom work. Friends, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom.
3: Dear friend, as you think of how God has blessed you in this year, would you consider giving a blessing to Southwest Radio Church Ministries and the Watchman on the Wall broadcast? We would certainly appreciate your donation of any amount, and you can go online at swrc.com, or you can call 1-800-652-1144 and give as God leads you to do so. God bless you, my friend, and thank you. Ancient
0: Cities and the Gods Who Built Them book and DVD are available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online swrc.com. What does the future hold? Is there hope at all? Find out tomorrow from prophecy legend J.R. Church as we go inside the radio vault for a look at the Armageddon Syndrome. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com.